The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Leslie Albrecht, Deputy Editor of Personal Finance at Market Watch. And I want to say happy International Women's Day to everybody. Yay. Today, we're going to talk about women and their money. And I'm here with Catherine Vallega, who is a certified financial planner and the founder of Green Bee Advisory outside of Boston. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. Great day to be talking about women and financial empowerment. Go women. <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to get to that. Uh, and first, I just want to set the scene a little bit and frame our discussion about, you know, why do we need to talk about women and financial empowerment? Um, and I think it's important to remember that there's a few unique financial factors that affect women in particular. Um, first of all, there's the ongoing gender wage gap, uh, which costs women on average about $398,000 over the course of their 40-year career. Uh, it's worse for Black and Latina women. That's according to the latest research. Um, there's also the fact that women are more likely to leave the workforce temporarily for, for caregiving duties. And they also tend to live longer than men. So there's other examples, but those are just three reasons why, you know, that paint a, good, a pretty good picture for why women have unique financial planning uh, needs. So Correct. we're going to talk to Catherine and she, luckily we have her, she's, she's going to help answer our questions and um, talk to us about uh, how women can, can build their wealth in spite of these, these uh, barriers. So Catherine, welcome. Uh, tell us, you say that financial, financial, female financial empowerment is your jam. What, what do you mean by that? And also who are you and uh, what do you do? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it's a great day to be talking about uh, women and money and how we can um, empower ourselves to earn more and achieve the goals we want to achieve. So my background, um, I started my career on Wall Street. I was on the trading desk at Lehman Brothers, if you remember that name, <laughs> Lehman Brothers. And when I was there, there was less than 25% women. Fast forward several decades, and this industry still has fewer than 25% women. So as a whole, um, we are not keeping up with the dynamics of the money in our economy and, and the support um, for women that we need to be, we need, we need more women in this industry to help more women. Uh, I will add that personally, I have four daughters. They are now young adults from ages 16 to 22. So I am very passionate about empowering women to win at wealth. I want women to be financially independent um, and be able to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Yeah, that's so great. And I can't wait to talk to you about your four daughters and how you talk to them about money, but we'll get to that in one second. Um, good, good. So, yeah, I mean, do, do women need a different financial planning strategy than men? So that is a very good question. Uh, I personally believe that this industry is, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it, it's broken. We are jargony. Um, there are terms that are too technical that don't have to be uh, as, as scary and 
off-putting as they are. If you look at one statement from uh, one of your financial accounts and try to compare it to the next, impossible. If you try to transfer an account, forget about it. It's just, we, we've broken the industry and we've made things way too difficult. Um, I, in my practice, I talk to women about their strengths and we can talk about that. There's a lot of them and their goals and their values. And then we work with that to create their uh, life by design financial plan. And then we get to the investments. The investment is actually the last piece of this. And in the typical industry, um, financial advisors tend to start with the money or start with the statement. And I just think that's broken. We, we need to talk about the whole person, their money story, where they come from, and then what they want to achieve. And like I said, the investing part's actually the easy part in all of this. So I think our industry has it backwards and I'm trying to change that. Yeah, that's interesting that you talk about how the investment part is sort of just one piece of it because um, we've written a lot of stories in the past couple of years about how employees don't care as much about compensation as they used to. I mean, their salaries as they used to. Um, they're more interested in work-life balance. They're more interested in flexible mm -hmm. schedules. And that means more to them than earning more in some cases. I'm not saying that's, that's yep. how it is for everybody. But I think, you know, like that, this shift in thinking about what our priorities are and what we want out of work, that really feeds into this whole idea of like financial planning as a holistic look at what you're trying to achieve and how you're trying to use your time in your life, you know? Correct, correct. I think that is one thing that COVID taught a lot of us is that life is short. And if we are in a position in our career where we are feeling undervalued or underappreciated or overworked, I think more people are questioning that, the, the validity of that old, you know, uh, theorem, if you will, that, that we, we would just stick in a job for the salary. I think people realize that life is too short. And and I am passionate about um, women in particular who who find they need to step out of the workforce because it hasn't worked for them. A lot of my female clients are starting their own businesses. And that's a, that's a whole other um, challenge in and of itself. But, but they have left the career force in order to have a little bit more of a work-life balance. Yeah. So you do work a lot with uh, women business owners. And I was just wondering, like, what, what kinds of challenges are you seeing that they face? And what are some of the pieces of advice that you give to women business owners in particular? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I think our country, while we're very supportive of small business, it's, it's hard to figure out how do I actually start a business? You know, what do I need to do? Right. You, th there's so much information out there, but there, but there's not a lot of great sources for, for like small business 101, here you go. So I really believe when you are starting a small business, it's important to create your own board of advisors, I call it, um, immediately. So that will include a bookkeeper, uh, keeping track of your expenses, keeping your business outside of your personal expenses is really important. Knowing what you can and cannot um, account for out of your business is really important. An attorney so an attorney will help you decide what the legal structure you may want to consider. Can you start just as a solo or should you consider an LLC? At what point may you want to go into an S-Corp? Um, they are also great about helping develop contracts. I see a lot of women in small business, we, we tend to give a lot away for free. 
And there are instances where we don't get paid or, you know, someone comes back and is negotiating. That's why having an attorney to negotiate some of those contracts for you before you go out and work with your clients is really, really important. Um, a CPA accountant, right? Merging both business and personal finance aspects of the numbers. And of course, the financial professional, that's where I come in. I tend to play a quarterback role and coordinate among each of these particular board members. And as a result, we allow our business owners to focus on what they do best and what they really enjoy doing, which is serving their clients and customers. And we get to help them with their money and make sure they're taken care of. Yeah, uh, that's interesting that you talked about how women need like a, a board of advisors. Um, I was just talking yesterday to um, Fidelity's Director of Women and Engagement, and she was saying they've actually done studies about how women who are trying to get their finances together, they really get a lot out of interacting with other women about um, how to improve their finances. And they get a lot out of turning to like online communities where they can be in a judgment-free safe space and talk about their problems, you know, managing their debt or improving their credit score or other kinds of personal finance goals that they have. Um, and like when women help other women, uh, not only do women do better, but also like women enjoy helping other women, according to Fidelity. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I, I like to use a phrase. I, I didn't coin this phrase, but I like to use it. Women are really good at, um, supporting and co-creating. So getting women together, women business owners, especially those in disparate markets is actually even more exciting where you can share challenges and get someone else's perspective. It's so important. You know, we, we, we like to talk about things and share ideas and sort of, you know, hash them out in our brain and then come back and talk again. But I love the power of co-creation of women supporting women. Yeah. And obviously with, I mean, one good thing about the pandemic is it's made it much, much more easy for people to have uh, meetings, group meetings that happen virtually. So there's, it's a lot easier, you know, to do that with other folks uh, these days. Um, okay. So I Correct. Want to, yes. <laughs> um, and we, I want to remind the audience that they can submit questions and many, many people already have. So if you're ready, Catherine, would you like to answer a question? Absolutely. From, Let's go. Okay. All right, listener Rachel or viewer Rachel says, um, she has a good nest egg, but she also has a ton of debt. As interest rates climb, and it looks like they're gonna keep climbing, uh, what should I do? Pay down debt or hang on in the market? She's 59 and she's the family breadwinner. Yes, great question, Rachel, thank you. Um, so obviously, I have to say it really depends on your own unique situation. Uh, with interest rates rising, that does impact. I mean, prior to the latest interest rate cycle, I we, we talk about home equity loans, um, lines of credit potentially helping pay, or pay off higher uh, interest rate debt. I would certainly not get out of the markets. And I do like to say that stocks are on sale right now, given our volatile markets. So I would hate to move away from that. But at the end of the day, we'd have to review all the details of your particular position. But I applaud you for questioning and thinking about it. Um, that's the first step in, in making the right financial decision. So good for you. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a timely question, too, because debt is such a big issue for a lot of women. Um, we just got a press release this morning from a financial 
institution that gathers data about debt. And they said that uh, credit card debt for women has been soaring in particular. Um, and also we know that um, in terms of student loan debt, about two thirds of it is held by women, um, which is kind of this like uh, negative flip side to the fact that more and more women are getting college and graduate degrees, which is great, but it's leaving them with debt. Um, so um, speaking of young women, you have four in your life. <laughs> so what do you talk I do. to your, yeah, how do you tell your, how do you talk to your daughter, your daughters about money and like what kind of lessons are important for you to impart to them at this young age? Um, very great question. Um, one of my favorite strategies for, well, actually I'll share two. And I was thinking about this prior to our call. Um, one of the strategies that I liked helping my girls learn about personal finance as they were getting older, we tried a lot with, uh, budgets and chores, et cetera. And finally, when they hit the age of being interested in clothing, one of the ways I was working on teaching them personal finance was having them create a budget. So they would have to present to me uh, and do the research, how many pairs of shorts, how many pairs of shoes that may want, they might want. I would get right of refusal. We might say, we're going to use hand-me-downs. We could in my family. And, um, and then give them, allocate that amount of funds to them, the agreed upon amount. And they could either use it exactly as their budget determined or they could blow it all on, you know, one name brand something, and then they'd be stuck with that decision. So as I was raising them, that was really great. As they got older, mm -hmm. I really liked the idea of something called a guardian Roth IRA. So I'm a big believer in having teenagers work for their own spending money and to save for college. And uh, one of the great things you can do as a parent is actually contribute to a Roth IRA on their behalf up to their earned income. And what that does is allow you to have the conversation about what even is this, right? Mm -hmm. It's a retirement fund. Well, what does that mean? Um, I'm going to invest it. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. We have beneficiaries on the account. So if something happens to me, who gets the funds? So it's a great way to introduce the concept of investing at an early age and by jumpstarting their own personal retirement bucket. I mean, they're going to be so far ahead of most of their peers as they get older. So I love that concept. And I talked to all my parents about um, considering doing the Guardian Roth IRAs for their kids. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about having kids right now is that money has gotten like less and less visible. You know, I mean, you used to see your parents with like cash or writing checks. Um, but now, you know, when we want to buy something, we just tap on our phone and our children do not see what the, the, the infrastructure behind that. Um, so it's really, I don't know, you, I think you, you really have to make those lessons like plain as day. Um, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, uh, survey or studies have shown that parents are talk to their girls less than their boys about money. Um, and there's even evidence that boys get paid more for their household chores than girls do. So uh, it starts, Ooh. I know, isn't that just disappointing? Uh, but um, yeah, it starts, it starts early, so. Um, well, and I, if I could add, I, I think what you said is really important, that piece of we're not using paper money as much. Yeah. And I do think it is still important. And if, I, if my kids were younger, uh, you know, I would be doing this with them is 
is using paper money and, and actually going to the store and having them purchase gum with it and seeing that physical, that physical sense of money, I think is an easier concept than, like you said, tapping your iPhone. Mm -hmm. And that makes it seem like play money. And I, I, I just think it's hard to make that connection. And I would still uh, recommend parents to use physical money and change, et cetera, um, for, for everybody, r regardless of whether we're going more digital. I think it's still a very important skill to have. And one other budgeting tool that I have used with clients before, and you can use with kids, is get them, you know, a check register, right? No one writes checks anymore. Yeah. But you can get those check registers. And before every purchase that they were going to make, even if they're going to make it digitally, they will have to record it in the check register. And what that does is almost puts a pause on, right? I want to go to Starbucks with my friends and get a $10 pink drink. Well, having to write down that, you know, line item starts to become a pain. And they're like, I don't even want to, I don't want to, no, I'm not going to go because I don't even want to do that anymore. And I think it's important, again, to make that physicality, that that pen and paper, you know, e even they're not going to be using a checkbook as they get older. It's an, an interesting exercise to go through, even if you handed them $20 and say record it for everything that you use or something. Um, I still believe in that physical uh, holding of money and that feeling of what it what it feels like to pay with real money. Yeah. It's kind of like keeping a food diary when you're on a diet, right? You, if you, <laughs> you like write down everything that happens. Um, so um, for, for women who have never invested, which um, sadly is a larger share of women than men, um, uh, what's, what's your advice on getting started with investing? Um, how, like what are, what are, what's the easiest way to just get started with investing? Absolutely. So first of all, I say just do it. Uh, there is a mantra in my industry. It's never too late and it's never too early. The other thing I think women, we're, we, we tend to be more conservative as a whole. And so it feels better to keep our money in cash. And I am really passionate about making my women become investors, investing in the stock market. Women tend to invest in products and services and solutions that make the world a better place. So I want you to invest in the stock market. I want you to succeed in your career and your business. I want you to support other women and people of color in their own businesses, angel investing, venture capital investing. We need more women using our dollars to, to change the world, change the world for better. So just do it. Um, there are plenty of ways, plenty of custodians. Start with an IRA either a traditional or a Roth, um, there are income limits, so you want to pay attention to that, and put your money in a low-cost exchange-traded fund that invests in you know, U.S. stocks, as an example, to get started. But just do it. Yeah. Uh, I talked to a financial planner last year who said she tells clients, especially young people, who don't see themselves as investors. First of all, that's your first mistake. Like don't, don't have a mental image of what an investor is. Cause I think if we probably, if we did a Google image search for the word investor right now, it would probably be like a 65 year old white guy, but uh, yes. it's really important for like everybody to think of themselves as investors. And her take was that everybody has an amount of money that they consider their don't think twice amount of money. Like if you're at Old Navy and you see a tank top that's $5.99, you, like, you, you probably have no problem buying that. You're not going to think about it twice. 
Um, so she says, take that amount of money and start your investment journey with that amount because um, it's for you, it's no pain and just put it away every month and it will grow eventually. You know, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't feel like you have a lot to spare. That's one way to get into it um, with a, you know, hopefully a, a low barrier to entry. Um, so. I, I, I love that. I, I love that idea. And if I can just add one other item, you mentioned that women don't feel like investors. I had an experience where I um, spoke to a potential client and she had just got off the phone with uh, a, a male advisor. And when I spoke to her, she said, oh, he told me I didn't have enough to invest. And that just made me ballistic because in that one comment, he potentially put this woman off of feeling that she could invest. And there are the, the, the barriers, they're, they're low to no barriers to starting to invest. And so absolutely, Leslie, what you said is that women need to become investors and do not think that this is an old white man's game. This is this is our game and we need to get in it. Yeah. Um, and OK, another thing I wanted to ask you about is what are some of the, the mistakes that um, financial mistakes that you see women making in your in your business? So great question. And actually piggybacks on the other one, which is we tend to underinvest, right? We, we, uh, if you, if you knew the amount of times I would look at an IRA from, from a female client, from another institution, and it was either in a CD or some type of very low earning potential product, we, we, we get, caught up in the, you know, I don't want to take any risk philosophy and it gets us stuck in these solutions that are not giving us the opportunity for growth. So mm -hmm. I would say, um, again, be, become investors and know that, that we are all worthy of investing and our investing dollars are, are very important for our economy. So, uh, so don't be scared. Just, just get going. Yeah, and also I think uh, did we talk about this already? The fact that um, women actually like do better in terms when when markets are volatile, they they really stay the course and they don't do as much panic selling as men do, according to an MIT study. Um, so they they actually like you know they they do well with their selections. Um, I I think that's very important actually, and I and I would add that we do better than men. So there, there are studies that show, right, because, because we, we are rational, we're smart, um, we don't make any, you know, really quick decisions over the long term, long term, we're better investors than men. So, you know, more women should know that we're, we're all capable of it and we should be doing it. Um, and in fact, we will probably in many cases outperform the men. Yeah, there's, there's definitely academic studies on that, looking at um, asset managers and hedge fund managers and uh, the the women, uh, they did better. Um, okay, and let's see, I'm looking at some more reader questions. Um, one woman wants to know about divorce and prenups. She says she was speaking with a group, Sally says she was speaking with a group of women who were divorced from wealthy men, but had prenups. And their advice was to don't give up your job. Hmm, I'm not sure hmm. exactly, I, yeah. well. well Maybe you could just talk generally about like divorce and, and what it, 
how you can financially plan for it, I guess. Yes. Um, first of all, th that prenup is very smart. Mm -hmm. um, so good for them for having done that. Um, I see a lot of savvy women, if they are unhappy in their relationship, they are reaching out to either attorneys or financial professionals prior to the thought process of getting a divorce. And that's really smart to consider the, um, the ramifications. Um, and I would say use very well respected professionals as you go through the divorce. I, I've seen a lot of crazy stories of, you know, money sort of being hidden and not being able to be recovered. Um, and then also financial plans. So you know what you're in for. Um, and, and, and know that in many cases, the divorce does set you back you know, se several too many years financially. So, so know what you're go getting into um, as you, as you approach that decision. Yeah. We've written recently about how uh, some people can't afford to get divorced right now because it is so expensive, just the act of getting divorced. Um, but also that like being divorced is sort of like experiencing your own personal recession um, in your financial life. So it can really take a, a toll on people. Correct. Um, people are asking about, how to find a financial planner. I would add to that question, um, when do you, well, but, but you're biased because you're a financial planner, but I mean, when do you need a financial planner versus when can you do it yourself? Um, but recognizing okay. you have a, your own personal stake in this. So. Absolutely, and I would definitely say I'm 100% biased. I'm a certified financial planner myself. So um, I would argue that everybody should have a financial planner. And the earlier you start, the better. There are uh, financial planners that will charge hourly. So you can do a check-in. And if you don't have, you know, if they have a minimum asset minimum or a different type of program, you can't afford their comprehensive plan. They, there are planners that exist. I actually also, also offer hourly check-ins. And I love clients when they come and say, I just want you to take a look at, you know, X, Y, Z for me. Um, eventually it'd be great if they established a long-term relationship with a planner, because what we're doing is providing knowledge, knowledge of your numbers and knowledge is power. And so the earlier you have a relationship with a financial partner, the better off your longer term decisions are going to be. Um, so absolutely. I, I would probably start at certified financial planner, uh, CFP board, which, offers, you know, you can, you can search under zip codes, et cetera, and find some uh, people to interview and, and start that way and, and talk to a couple so that you feel like you have a rapport with them. You can trust them. They have a good, clean background history, et cetera. Yeah. And I would also remind people, you can look up any financial planner on um, the FINRA website. That's F-I-N-R-A. Uh, you can do, you can go to broker check um, and other, the, the, there are different places where you can see the background of financial professionals that you're considering doing business with, and you can see if they've had, uh, you know, uh, what they're called disclosures, but um, if they have violations or if, if they've done something untoward, then it'll be on, on a list and you can put that out there. Correct. Um, oh gosh, we're almost out of time. I want to ask you about having children and um, taking a break from the workforce and if there's a way that, um, women can prepare financially for that, or like what, what can they do to keep saving for retirement during that time? Um, and if you have, if you have tips about like sort of lessening the financial impact of, of having kids. Yes. 
Um, so I thought, you know, a lot about uh, the life the life cycle of when you have kids, right? And you, when they're young, you have this huge expense. If you're still working in daycare on the tail end, you have college expenses and there's plenty of things in between camps and tutors and all kinds of other things that you might need. Um, I think what women should contemplate before they leave the workforce is it, it, the more we talk about this, the, the, the challenges when we lose those years of contributions to retirement, I think we need to share it and make people aware. Um, there are also opportunities where when you, if you are in a couple and one is still contributing, there are something, there's something called the spousal IRA. So even if you are not earning income, you can contribute to a spousal IRA. There are income deductibility limits. So whether it's tax deductible or not, uh, you have to look at your income limits. But I would say spousal IRA. And also, you know, don't forget about me, right? I want some money invested in my name, whether it's an IRA or a taxable account. Um, and I will add, there's one other piece of the pie that I think we don't do great as a whole in the economy, which is more women should have access to part-time fulfilling jobs so that they don't have to leave the workforce altogether. They can still maintain that work-life balance, but maintain their skills and stay current so that when they are ready to return, which many of them will be, they can, they're, they're in there, they're, you know, they're, 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 they've got all the skills that they need and they can pick it back up and go full-time. I wish more employers in this country would offer those types of opportunities. Yeah. And that, and that, like, that speaks again to that issue of having the work-life balance and being able to maintain a work life and a, and a family life. Um, or a life outside of work, even if you don't have a family. Um, okay. Correct. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think that's a that's a great point. Um, so, I guess I wanted to like leave people with some action steps that they can take. Um, if you're a woman who wants to grow her wealth and take control of her money, are there like one or two steps that she can take today to to get going? Absolutely. So number one, I would say know that you are worthy of being an investor um, and a great investor and you should be investing. Um, number two, I would consider having a financial partner if you haven't already. You know, there are options, even if you don't have, you know, the mega millions to invest, there are options to engage with a financial professional who can who can partner with you. Um, and just being involved in these types of events and women supporting women and, you know, co-creating and mentoring and lifting other women up. I mean, that alone will go a long way and you will have a network of women to, to, to work with and ask questions and support each other. I think that's very, very important. So thank you for hosting. This is a great event. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Um, and that is all we have time for today. So thank you, Catherine. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Um, please write to us uh, with like more questions that you have about women and uh, financial planning for women, our personal finance section here at MarketWatch is always looking for stories about people and their money. Um, and join us again tomorrow for uh, another Barron's Live when Deputy Editor Alex Uli and Senior Technology Writer Tay Kim are going to talk about the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.